Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship, two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome back to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. It's just weeks until the biathlon season is underway, and many of the team's top athletes spent time on the Olympic trails at Soldier Hollow in Utah during October in a final tune-up for the season ahead. A year ago, Wisconsin athlete Deidre Irwin left the Soldier Hollow camp with excitement and optimism, but not really knowing where the Olympic season would take her. At the end of this year's camp, Deidre sat down to talk about her Olympic season, recap the training camp, and look forward to opening the IBU World Cup Tour. 2002 was a strong year for Deidre, who recorded the best U.S. Olympic biathlon finish ever with seventh in the individual event at Beijing. Deidre also updates us on the new Aarons Nordic Center that will open this winter in eastern Wisconsin, not far from her home. Now let's head to Utah as Deidre Irwin shares her thoughts with Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. It is a beautiful day here in Midway, Utah. The training camp for U.S. Biathlon at Soldier Hollow is kind of winding to a close, and we are sitting here at the Zermatt. The fall colors, while they're on their wane, it is gorgeous. Deidre Irwin, thanks for joining us here on Heartbeat. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. We did this about a year ago, uh, still using Zoom, but it's great to be back here in person. Uh, Camp gone well for you? Yeah, I mean, I showed up a week late because I um, went to a family wedding, but once I got out here, ready to roll, um, weather has been beautiful. And uh, I think we're going to escape the snow this year, which is really nice. Well, just barely, though. <laughs> barely, uh, by day. <laughs> we're, we're, we're recording this uh, going into the uh, uh, the weekend. And on the weekend, it is supposed to snow and it's supposed to snow fairly big times. Mm-hmm. So I think you're making an exodus at exactly the right point. Exactly. Before we go on and uh, talk about the season ahead, though, I want to go back about a month or so ago, and you had an opportunity to go to the opening of the biathlon range that U.S. biathlon sponsor Aaron's has put together in brilliant Wisconsin, not too far from Pulaski, where you grew up. Tell us about that facility and how important it is for biathlon. It is a world-class facility. What they've been able to do with um, that area has been amazing. I got to check it out over a year ago when it was just in the planning phase and ride one of the four wheelers around and kind of see what they were thinking. And I honestly was like, what are they, what are they thinking? Like, you know, they had John Morton working on the trails and, and so I definitely knew it was going to be amazing, but actually seeing it done, seeing it with the 20 point range, seeing it with the world-class roller ski track, um, the snow system put in the targets, it is just absolutely amazing what they've been able to do. And it's truly an honor to be a part of it being from Wisconsin, growing up only about 50 minutes away to have something so close to my home now when I go home and want to spend a week with my family. I'll be able to get, you know, just as good of training as I can anywhere else in the U.S. now, which is just a dream come true. 
And I think it's going to be so amazing for the community, for the Wisconsin biathlon community. They love biathlon. And so to see so many people come out and watch us christen the range and watch us give a little demo, um, just talking with all the people in the Green Bay, Pulaski area, down in Milwaukee area, like it's really just a great central location for people who are going to want to try biathlon and also just people who want to get on snow. The fact that they're going to have snowmaking is just huge for Northeast Wisconsin. So it was a dream come true, a dream that I didn't even know I had <laughs> to have a biathlon range that close to my like hometown. Um, and I'm so excited to be an ambassador for it and to be able to, you know, tell people about it as much as I can. Aaron's has been a great partner for U.S. Biathlon, but I want to talk a little bit about the culture in the Midwest and particularly in Wisconsin. I'm a native myself. There really is an amazing Nordic sport culture, cross-country skiing, and you grew up or you discovered that sport uh, in northeastern Wisconsin. Uh, but it's a great thing that that Aaron's is doing, but it also, it really fits in to the Nordic culture in the state of Wisconsin. It does. Um, I think especially during COVID and throughout that entire two years where more people wanted to get outside and wanted to experience the outdoors, more about like the Wisconsin trail systems was being discovered by a totally different, you know, niche of people. So for the Nordic community to now be able to share more with, you know, the biking community, the running community and be like, hey, this is a cool thing you can do in the winter. And they're going to have a four season trail system there. So the people are going to be able to bike, run, whatever they want there and spend time with their families. So I think the Nordic community, Wisconsin, once I discovered it when I was 16, has been nothing but supportive and absolutely amazing to me. And so to be able to have like I said, a world-class facility just like right out everybody's back door is going to be so cool for the area. And I think you're going to see a lot more athletes coming from the Midwest now. I know a highlight for you being there was not just the opening of the biathlon range, but you also got to go to a Packers game uh, with Aaron's. Uh, being a Wisconsin native and being able to sit there and see your face up on the on the Jumbotron, that had to be an amazing experience. Yeah. I mean, everybody was like, is this your first Packer game? I was like, no, definitely not. I've gone to, I mean, that was probably maybe my fifth Packer game, but it was my first that um, I was able to sit in like the club seats and really get to experience so much of the Packer culture. And then when they said that they were going to be able to announce us in between the first and second quarter and be on the Jumbotron, I mean, it was so cool. The amount of texts I received after from all of my friends and family and just, you know, random people in the community who know me who all have like seasons tickets or just went to the game. I mean, it was just a really cool experience to be able to do that myself as a huge Packer fan and then also to, you know, share it with all the people who have supported me in the area and have them have them see me up there and sort of be a local celebrity, I guess. Well, you were definitely a local celebrity back there, and I wish I could have been there. I came, I came close to making it, but I didn't, wasn't able to get there. You also saw an incredible game that night. Oh my gosh. It's not often that you get to go to a game and it goes into overtime and you end up winning. So that was awesome. So, I mean, it was, it was truly an awesome game to be there and to be able to experience it with my family and friends. Let's go back to uh, talk about how you got into sport. And I apologize for the background noise here. We are outside at the Zermatt. It is a beautiful day, but it's also an active day. Uh, you were on the podcast Heartbeat about a year or so ago and we talked about your background and how you got into the sport. But let's just recap that a little bit and, you know, how you made your way into biathlon. Yeah, so I started skiing when I was 16 years old. Um, I came from a running background, very competitive runner. And as I 
started developing as a runner and started doing more skiing, I found Michigan Technological University and I went and ran and skied for them five years. And then after college, I figured why not try out professional skiing. I didn't get into grad school and I didn't really know what else to do. So I just knew I liked training. So I moved out to Sun Valley, Idaho. I had some connections there from being a coach and uh, they let me be on the team with the Sun Valley um, Ski Education Foundation gold team for a couple years. And right when I felt like I was kind of hitting my plateau, I you know, was like, I'll give myself one more year And Joanne Reed reached out to me and was like, well, here's this talent ID camp in Lake Placid, New York. Do you want to try biathlon? And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I'm not a great skate skier, but (laughs) I'm great friends with Joanne. And I was like, I'll try it, see what happens. And so um, I went to Lake Placid, New York for a week and I just, I fell in love with the sport immediately. The people, the passion, just everything about it. It was just a new challenge that lit a different fire in me that I hadn't had for a while in Nordic skiing. Um, and so, uh, they invited me to train with them. And so I figured I'd give myself that one year that I was going to spend doing Nordic. I'd try doing biathlon and see what happened with it. And as we all know, um, it went incredible. And four years after that start, I made the Olympic team. And now I'm here for another four years, hopefully. (laughs) It just keeps going. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about the National Guard program. And by the way, congratulations. It is now Sergeant Irwin, right? Correct. I got promoted right before the Olympics, actually. Very good. That program has been great for Nordic sports and in particular biathlon. A number of your teammates are in that program as well. Uh, Can you talk about the, the experience you've had with the Vermont National Guard, both as an athlete and also as a soldier? The Vermont National Guard program has really been amazing for me, Um, not only as a soldier, but an athlete. I feel like I honestly would not have made such amazing strides in biathlon so quickly without having the support of the National Guard biathlon team. I've also been able to do really amazing things with the Guard, including their best warrior competition in 2021, which was a really cool experience for me to just sort of test my soldiering skills alongside doing biathlon and and taking the basic leadership course, which then put me up for promotion to sergeant this past year. So being able to have a career outside of biathlon, even though biathlon is technically my career, has been kind of cool. You get a little break every once in a while to work on different skills. And I've met so many amazing supportive people throughout the National Guard community in Vermont. So um, I really enjoy the program and I'm, I'm so happy that I made that commitment to you know, be a soldier and to race for them and do biathlon. During this season, how is is there a balancing of guard duties, or are you an athlete during this during the uh, biathlon season? During the biathlon season, it's definitely just a focus to stay in Europe and to race as much as possible. Sometimes, you know, we give our units updates and stuff like that, and if they need us to do paperwork or anything like that, we're able to do it over Zoom or something like that. But most of our commitments as um, biathletes is during the summer when we're able to attend drill, whenever we're able to, you know, go to our annual training and stuff like that. Um, I split train a lot. So I'll go in in the middle of the week since I literally live right down the road from my unit and just help them out with paperwork and stuff. That's kind of my job. So, um A lot of us, we just try to, you know, keep a good connection with our unit and, 
you know, make it work with our schedule so that we're not missing biathlon training to go to drill, but we're also not missing too much drill to do biathlon. Yeah. Well, it's it's quite a balancing act, but I know that it's a good support program. It's been fun to watch it. Let's go back to last year, the Olympic season. When we talked a year ago, it was right after this camp, you were starting to get ready for the year. You had to qualify for the team mm -hmm. and then make your way to Beijing. Let's go back first to the qualification process. And what did you end up needing to do in order to make that team and become a part of Team USA? So after making just the World Cup team, um, we also had the Olympic trial series, which was after World Cup three, we spent part of our Christmas break in Arbor, Germany. We had, I believe, three races there, two or, I can't remember now, two or three races there. And if one person was well above the rest, then they would have named someone. But I think in that race series, Joanne won one and then I won one. So we must have only had two races there. So they couldn't pick an obvious choice for the third spot for the Olympic team since Claire and Susan were already pre-qualified. So then um, all of the people who were trying to make the team then had to go to Ozerbli, Slovakia and race the IBU cup that was there, which included three races. And so all of us had to do those three races. And then it was the best, I believe, two or three out of five that chose the Olympic team. So after all of those races, um, both Joanne and I also had really top notch races in Ozerbly. So I think uh, me and her were chosen as the third and fourth spot on the team. And then Hallie Grossman ended up getting our alternate spot. What was the pressure like during those races? I know you're, at one hand, you need to focus on your World Cup season. You're a part of that. But at the same time, you want to make that team to Beijing. What was the pressure like during that, that entire qualifying period? It was very difficult um, because after Arbor, because they couldn't choose anybody, we weren't able to send a full team to Oberhof, which, you know, for our team ranking was a pretty big hit to not be able to do some of those relays. So that was pretty stressful because obviously we want to do well in the World Cup and we want to continue to rank up so that we can get more start spots. So that was pretty stressful. Um, but once we got to Ozerbly, it was kind of nice to race on the IBU Cup. It's been a while. And so to like, you know, kind of a venue where I had my top finish ever on the IBU Cup. I got that sixth place a couple years ago. So to be back at then that venue was really fun for me because I really enjoy that course. And to just, yeah, have different people that you're racing around. So the second part of the trials was obviously stressful because it's trials, but it was kind of nice to not have it be just a one-on-one -on -one team trials. Like we were in Arbor where there was like not a lot of snow. We were just sort of us five going through like almost a rainstorm. I remember the weather wasn't very good in Arbor. It was just like half through the race, like there was just a windstorm all of a sudden or a torrential downpour. It was a very interesting trials races in Arbor, which made it very difficult. So once we got to Ozerbly, it was a lot more consistent conditions and having it be like an actual IBU Cup race was a little bit more official than just our kind of thrown together trials that we, you know, sometimes do, which we have to do. You know, that's just how it works um, when we go to like those locations like Arbor. In this qualifying process, uh, you're with your teammates. Your teammates mm -hmm. are with all year long, but you're also vying with them for those spots. Now, in the end, I think it worked out pretty well, but uh, is, there, is, there, is it a different dynamic during that time period than it is during the World Cup? It is because everybody stresses out in different ways and you need to be respectful of, you know, people's space and how they can get ready for those races because it is like, you know, it's the Olympics, you know, people want to make the Olympics. So it's something people dream about. And I think, you know, you need to be respectful of how people prepare, 
you know, differently and how people handle maybe a loss or a win differently. So it's always going to be stressful no matter what. I don't know if you could talk to any athlete in any sport that doesn't say like the Olympic trials wasn't one of the most, you know, stressful things they've ever done. So um, I think... Yeah, in the end, I think uh, our team was very respectful of each other and we were able to like come out with the best team possible for the Olympics. So um, it's it's a mind game. It's a whole body game. It's like who's who's able to sleep through the stress, who's able to eat, th eat through the stress. That's always my hard thing. I, I have a hard time eating when I'm so stressed out. So it's it's always just a difficult time, I think, for everyone. Yeah. Let's take it on to Beijing now. You're a part of Team USA. You're an Olympian now, along with all of your teammates. Before you even get to the competition arena, what is the sense like when you're in Beijing and you know that you're there to represent your country? Honestly, when I first got there, because of COVID, and I'd never been to an Olympics before, so I didn't really know what to expect. It was pretty chill for me. I was sort of like, oh, we showed up and there's three new bags of clothes, you know, <laughs> like, cool, this is awesome. But like, the venue looks pretty similar to most of the venues we go to. Like, there's not a lot of people. It was, for me, a little underwhelming at first. I was definitely like, huh, this is the Olympics. Okay. Like, it was cool to see so many different athletes in other sports, but it wasn't for me until going to the opening ceremonies. Um, I was, I think, the only athlete on um, the biathlon team that went to the opening ceremonies because I wasn't in the mixed relay. And so walking through that tunnel and seeing the Olympic rings, that was the moment for me that I was like, oh my gosh, wait, I made it. I mean, I remember watching the Olympics in 2008, the Summer Olympics in Beijing, and just being like, that's where I want to go. I want to go to the Olympics. And that was back when I wanted to be a track and field star. <laughs> so like way before, you know, skiing was even on my radar. So to be able to walk up to the nest and have those memories of watching the 2008 Beijing Olympics and just being able to be present in that moment and just, you know, finally be able to like, whoa, I made it. I'm an Olympian. So that was the moment for me that I finally was like, wow, this is it. So at first I will admit it was, I was a little underwhelmed, but once kind of all the festivities started and once we got, I mean, putting on that first race bib for the individual, I like was just trying to hold back tears walking to the start line. Cause I was like, oh my goodness, this is actually happening. Like I'm actually starting my, you know, Olympic race. I can, for me, it was like, unless I, if I don't do a race, I'm not an Olympian. Like that was my kind of mindset. So I was like, stay healthy, stay focused and just get to that start line. So, um, so that was just like a really cool experience. Once I was able to get into all of the racing and everything like that it was just truly amazing. Did you go to the stadium for the mixed relay, even though you weren't a part of that team? No, I think we had training earlier that day and the weather was so chaotic there that you, they didn't really want us being outside too much for the exposure because like a lot of the races were at night. So it's like if we stood out there and watched the races, we're risking like just, you know, temperature exposure and like wind and everything like that. So I didn't really go out and watch many of the other races for the biathlon um, circuit because, yeah, it was it was just cold. Did you did you watch it at uh, back at the village or? Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely watched it back at the village. And that, that was a great race. It was so, it was so great. They did so amazing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know how many times I sat in that apartment. I was screaming at the TV, whether it was for biathlon or Nordic, or I remember watching, um, you know, the snowboard cross relay with Nick Baumgartner. I remember just, oh, that was so cool. I met him and him winning his gold medal at 40 years old. I was just like cheering so loud. Well, he's kind of your neighbor. I know he's from the Michigan side of the border, exactly, but not far. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so we met at the opening ceremonies and 
he was just such a cool human. And Had I was you met like, him before? No, I'd never met him before. So, but now, now we message each other every once in a while on Instagram, just like, you know, he's over racing right now or prepping for the season. And I'm just like, it's just so cool, you know, to see him achieve his dream at 40, you know, was just awesome. So like there were so many, so many moments like that at the Olympics, just being able to not only like be excited about the biathlon side of it, but be excited about so many other Team USA athletes achieving their dreams and, you know, competing. It's not often that we were able to like have all the athletes in one spot and be actually on one team. Any others that you met that you can think of that really had an impact on you, whether that was at the opening ceremony or just throughout the games? Oh, man. I mean, I knew a lot of the Nordic athletes. So um, being able to actually be in the same location as them, too, and like, you know, go to their venue and ski a little bit and and, you know, have them out there cheering. I think I met a lot of the Nordic combined athletes, too. Uh, they came out and watched me, I'm pretty sure, in the mass start, which was really cool just to hear so many more, you know, voices alongside the trail. So that was really really exciting to be able to meet all of those other athletes and be able to like support each other at such a big event. Yeah, it's a cool experience. Let's go to the individual. So that morning you put the bib on for the individual, your first Olympic race. Did you have any idea what you were getting into? No, I mean, it was so many things I look back at now that I just like laugh about because the night before I was having a hard time eating. So like I posted about eating cake or something like that, you know, and then the morning of, I think I had some sort of inspirational Jordan Sparks song. I took a selfie of me wearing my first Olympic bib and, you know, it was just sort of like, this is my moment or something that I think the song had something like that in it. And so to have all those little things happen and then have the race of my life. It was just like so crazy to look back at. And I still get emotional when I think about it because it just like still feels so unreal that it happened. Um, and to be able to continue to share my story after the fact because I had that that just like, I mean, a once in a lifetime race. I can't, I can't say that I'll ever be able to like have, you know, I, I will never be able to have that because that is gonna be forever my first Olympic race and my first Olympic, you know, moment. Yeah, and, and we're, we're going to keep talking about it, but just so if folks don't remember it, you finished seventh. It was the best finish ever, actually, for a U.S. biathlete at the at the Olympics. But when you when you try to dissect it, Deidre, is there is there a way you can kind of look back at the race and kind of think about what are those things that really made the difference that day? I think there was so much pressure and stress, as we were talking about with the Olympic trials leading up to the Olympics, that. I was a little hard on myself on a lot of the World Cups and a lot of the trials, and I wasn't really able to relax. And so when I had made the Olympic team, I had zero expectations now. I didn't really think about what place I was going to get. Like, obviously, I wanted to perform in the relay. That was my really big, like, I want to perform in the relay. But other than that, I was like, the rest of these races, the entire experience is just a bonus. So I think I was able to go into it like incredibly emotional because I was like, holy crap, I'm at the Olympics. But I was also able to go into it just like relaxed and, you know, not have too many huge expectations. And so like as I was going through the race and I kept cleaning, I was like, well, this is awesome. Cool. Like, I wonder how I'm skiing. Like, but I didn't really like still didn't really put any pressure on myself. I was like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And so crossing that finish line and then having so many people tell me like what I had just done was like 
everything just sort of like came at me at once. And I think everybody will remember me like crying on the television forever. <laughs> so you're going to you're about to head back to your alma mater, Michigan Tech, to give a leadership or motivation presentation, which is super cool. Are there elements out of that day in Beijing that you can convey to this group to give them a sense of uh, something that they could put into their lives? I think definitely. I mean, one thing that I def like the biggest thing I think I learned from my Olympic experience was that like I have the skills, I just need to channel them better, you know? And I think I gained a lot of confidence from the Olympics and it shows in my third trimester after the Olympics how I was able to clean my first race on the World Cup and get that 14th place finish in Otapa. So I think every athlete's different and once you're able to unlock that belief and that, you know, confidence in your skills and in your racing, it unlocks another potential in in what you're doing. So like for me, if you, if you would have asked me, I never really thought I could have like hit 19 for 20 consistently in in a four-stage race. And now since I've done that, I've been able to do it more and more. And so I think it's just I gained a lot of confidence from that particular race and that experience at the Olympics. Let's take that and move fast forward to the camp that you're just ending here at Soldier Hollow. Are you? Did you approach this camp at Soldier Hollow maybe a little bit differently than you have in the past? Yeah, definitely. I mean, being pre-qualified for the World Champ, well, for the World Cup, you're able to come into this camp and treat it more like an actual training camp instead of a trial situation, uh, which I think for the past however many years, this has been a trial situation for me. So to be able to come here and be able to like relax a little bit more and train through a little bit more and not put so much pressure on myself for those trials races, I was able to work on things that, you know, are things I want to achieve on the World Cup, like shooting more consistently and skiing more aggressively in certain areas. So definitely coming into these races and not having them be trials specifically for me, um, I learned a lot from training and racing here. Did you put a priority uh, a little bit more on shooting or uh, skiing? Uh, both. I think me and Armin, I think, have a really good understanding of wh what I'm working on in my ski technique and what I'm working on in my shooting. So um, we have a pretty good plan for how to attack both of those kind of at the same time, but not, you know, where they're distracting from each other. So um, you know, it's normal with biathlon. When you're on the ski course, you're a skier, and then you have to flip that switch and do the shooting. So uh, for, for the races, I think it worked really well for me. I was able to work on my skiing on the ski course and then work on that, flipping that switch and getting into the range and working on what I need to on the range. Cool. Thanks for sharing your story. Deidre Irwin, we're going to close it out with our on-target section. Just a few final questions. I, I've got to go to Packers, your favorite Packer player of all time. Of all time? Oh, man. Uh, of all time, I'd have to say Clay Matthews. He's a cool dude. Um, but currently, I'd say AJ Dillon. Love it. Um, he sent us some cool tweets while we're at the Olympics. So I gotta like, I gotta have him be my favorite right now. So because he's a biathlon fan now. So how'd you connect with him? Um, via Twitter. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Because they sent us those custom jerseys, and so he was just like, he's a very great spokesman for the Packers um, Association, and so I think. Uh, I really enjoy seeing what he does with the community. 
That's right. And I had forgotten about that, but Aaron's was really uh, instrumental in getting those custom jerseys done for you for the Olympics. I know it wasn't your Olympic uniform, but man, you had to have a lot of Packer pride there. Yeah, no, that was really cool to receive those from the Packer organization. Um, yeah, to have the number 22 on them for the 22 Olympics and then have our own names on the back. Um, I know my dad's really jealous that I have a Packers jersey with my own name on the back now. So Should be. Uh, your most memorable competition, uh, uh, your, yeah, most memorable competition memory, I guess, from Beijing? Um, definitely the individual. Uh, just, I, there's so many little flashes of that race that I remember from, you know, stepping on the start line to, you know, hitting 19 for 20 to crossing the finish um, to the interviews after. I mean, that day was just, and forever will be a very special memory for me. Well, it was for all of us who were watching, too. Uh, how about your most memorable non-competition memory from Beijing? I would have to say, um, I spoke about it earlier, but walking through the tunnel at the opening ceremonies and just seeing those giant Olympic rings floating over the nest was just a magical moment for me. That was the first moment I felt like an Olympian. Uh, going to deviate from the questions a little bit, but looking ahead now three years to the uh, Olympics in Milan Cortina, still on your radar, uh, you have the benefit there of actually going to an Olympic venue that you're extremely familiar with in Anholtz. Yeah, Anholtz is going to be amazing. Um, I, I'm hoping in the next three years I figure out how to race it a little better since I've never really had a great race there yet. But um, what's cool is everybody in the biathlon community will have experience at that venue. And so it's just going to make it a very competitive, very close to home Olympics for, I think, every single athlete. So Sweet. it's going to be amazing. The event that you're most looking forward to this season. This season. And maybe it is Antholtz or maybe not. Um, there's so many because my family's finally able to come and watch me. My family has not been able to watch me since I've been on the World Cup. I started the World Cup in a COVID season and then another COVID season and then an Olympic season. I mean, so um, there's so many that I'm looking forward to. So I'm just hoping that I can stay healthy and focused throughout all of those so I can put on a good show for all my family and friends that are coming over. I think I have family coming, family and friends coming too. Hochfilzen, Slovenia, Rupolding, Oberhof. I mean, it's just going to be, I'm, I'm this, this season I'm kind of looking at as a celebration awesome. for, for my family and for my friends to finally be able to, to watch what I do and, and to come and support me. So I'm excited for so much of it that it's, it's hard to pick one thing. Did they do a family gathering back in Wisconsin to watch you in Beijing? My family did put on a showing for the relay, I believe, at a local bar restaurant at like 3 a.m. in Pulaski, Wisconsin. And so they had a great turnout. It was really cool. The local donut shop that I love and I've told everybody in the world about made some donuts for, for me and a local cake shop made some cakes. They all know how obsessed with sweets I am. So, And my brother, actually, he owns a brewery and he brewed a special, I think, blueberry donut beer for everyone to enjoy. Seriously? So, yeah. So he had a special pilot beer that he'd brewed just for me. I think it was called Blue something because my middle name is Blue. So, what what is the name of the donut shop? It's called Schmravas. It's a I can't even spell it. It's a very Polish bakery in Pulaski, Wisconsin. It's absolutely incredible. You can order it online too. I think. And and I, I was going to ask you too before you even told me your brother owned a brewery. But what's your favorite craft beer? My favorite craft beer uh, would probably have to be my brother's. Um, 
Blood Orange IPA. Well, that's a nice one. It's very good. And I think it's finally on their like full-time menu at Island City Brewery. It's in Winona, Minnesota. And yeah, every time I go there, this, that's an amazing one that they make. Okay, I'm going to put that on my list. Okay. Then finally, one word. What did your Olympic experience in Beijing mean to you? <sighs> one word. My mind is blanking right now. Well, it usually does on these things, right? but uh, I'm, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm not king of the one word, uh, the one word questions. But one uh, thinking word. back to Beijing, just think about one word and your takeaway from Beijing. Unreal. My entire limp experience felt so unreal to me that I still look back and it's like, did that really happen? Did, did I go, like, A, did I go to China? Like, what? <laughs> B, did I have, you know, the best U.S. biathlon finish ever in the Olympics? Um, and, like, C, like, did I meet all these new amazing Olympians, you know? And, and just, it just still feels so unreal, almost like a dream. That would probably be the best way I can describe it. Maybe someday it'll sink in that that happened, but, like, still to this day, it doesn't really feel like it did. Well, you can pinch yourself because Deidre Irwin, or I should say Sergeant Irwin, you did have that experience in Beijing. Congratulations, and thanks for joining us on Heartbeat. Thank you. Thanks to Deidre Irwin for sharing her story. As a native of Wisconsin myself, it's always good to catch up with another Packer fan. We hope you're enjoying Heartbeat as we tell you the stories of biathlon. You can help us by sharing the link to Heartbeat on your own social media channels and also telling your friends to listen in. Looking back, did you catch the episode with longtime U.S. biathlon leader Max Cobb? It was a fun interview on the eve of him heading to Salzburg to take over the International Biathlon Union. And remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you. And leave a review if you can. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast.